If you'll go ahead and open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in chapter 12 again. Of course, many of you thought, because I finished chapter 12 last week, that we would go into chapter 13. That's natural to think that way. Uh, but we're not. We're going to hang out in chapter 12. And really just just this section, just to, to consider... Uh, some things uh, as we the Lord has us in this in this portion of Scripture. Uh, even all the songs we just sang, we're we're really reflecting. We're not just wanting to buzz through the Scriptures, right? We're wanting to uh, be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. And I think there's some confusion about spiritual gifts, certainly that's out there. And this text is not meant to confuse us. This text, Paul writes this gift to help us. Uh, and he's speaking to charismatics and non-charismatics, right, in there in the church in Corinth. And he's trying to bring them together. And uh, he's not trying to start a bunch of new churches. Uh, so I think that's important, that we walk away with that understanding. Uh, and certainly that we, we fix our eyes on the things even here that we, you know, that, that the Word of God is putting in front of us. Because uh, we can walk away and in our community group time get into discussions and that could be uh, meaningful in many different ways but may not get us on track in terms of uh, what I think this is being put, what is being put in front of us, which is are we using our gifts for the body? And, uh, and you know, you think Jesus purchased us, as we just sang about in several of our songs, he purchased us by his blood. Right, and he he then uh, commissioned us, each of us. He he purchases us, right? He's not done with us, but then he then commissions us to a work, right? And specifically, uh, he talks to us a, a great deal about what work he's commissioned us to do. But he doesn't. Then he empowers us to do the work. He equips us with a gift with various gifts, with many gifts, with a variety of gifts, to do the work that he calls us to. And that's, that's significant, isn't it? Uh, and, and so we've been talking about that. What is a spiritual gift? Where did it come from? Uh, uh, and we, we reviewed that. And we're going to press in even further today uh, at, and specifically trying to just examine the list that is in front of us there in 1 Corinthians 12. To review some, just for those who may be joining us for the first time, a spiritual gift is a gift of God's grace given to all who confess Jesus as Lord. There are a variety of these gifts. Their purpose is for the common good of the church, and they're distributed to us by God. These are very important. It's why we keep emphasizing them, and I keep restating them. Um, the summary of chapter 12 could be something like the Holy Spirit present in all of us, present in all those who confess Jesus as Lord. And, and one of the, Paul's emphasis, at, at least, would be uh, in chapter 12, would be that there's not any one of the gifts that he endows each one of us with. There's not any one of them that manifests his presence more than another. That's really important, right? Because we talked about how we tend to prioritize in such a way that we do not see that in the Scripture. 
Last week, we're emphasizing your gift needs the body and the body needs your gift. Remember, I had you turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. You're more comfortable saying that, right? That fits, right? Uh, but um, it's a little bit awkward when I had you say, turn to the person next to you and say, you need me, right? That's a little more awkward, uh, and we, but it's true. We see that in the scripture. And so most of the time this morning is going to be spent talking, talking about taking a look at the list of gifts here in chapter 12, uh, 8 through 10. We'll look at some in verse 28 there, and we'll go over and I'll reread that to us here in a minute. Uh, but just a, an overview of the list of spiritual gifts that we see in the scriptures. All right, just want to say some, some things that we, we look at. And we, we've said this already, but I'm going to review it here again. When we look at the different list of gifts in the scriptures, one thing that we can see is that the lists are not exhaustive. So as we're looking at our list of spiritual gifts that, that are given to the believer by the Spirit, all right, those lists are not exhaustive. All right, that's one takeaway. The second thing is that the order varies. And that means, and it's very important, that means that the scriptures aren't prioritizing them. Right? Like if you're in the in crowd, you have one of the top three gifts. If you're not as spiritual of an individual, you know, you have one of the lower gifts. Like he doesn't prioritize them, although we do see in some of the lists that tongues each time is listed at the bottom. So we'll, we'll speak to that when we talk about tongues. But, but right now what we're saying is that generally speaking, when we're looking at it, the order varies. Three, that there's a mixture of ordinary and extraordinary gifts. Okay? They're all mixed together. And they're all called the charismata, right? These gifts of God's grace. So, in examining the list, right, that we have in front of us here in chapter 12, we see that Paul did not intend to introduce to us all the gifts of the Spirit the church could possibly have, right? And that's important for us to sit with, okay? Because there's lots of lists out there, and sometimes if you're a list person, you, you just, your mind gets stuck there and say, well, that's it, that's all there is, and and, but that's not his intention. These are not exhaustive, as we just said. Uh, in fact, how do you know that? Well, we find additional gifts listed other places, and some aren't listed, right? So it's, he's just giving us an idea. Additionally, when we see there in verses 4 and 5, let's read that. Again, chapter 12, I'll read verses 4 and 5, because I want to review some things from there. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. And here's the point. Even some of your translations use different words for there, right? So these, these words in the Greek there can mean some pretty broad things. The category that, that Paul sets out with when he's talking about spiritual gifts, uh, the categories of giftings are very broad, Right? And are not just referred to as right different gifts, but they're referred to as different ministries, right? The gifts are referred to as different ministries, different activities. And depending on your translation there, yours might say different services or different workings, right? That's pretty broad categories, isn't it? And so what Paul is getting at is, hey man, when it comes to how God uh, equips the church. One, he, he's the distributor. He decides. He's going to equip the church as he sees fit, right? And, and it's up to him. 
But man, this can cover and does cover a lot of territory. Uh, so we have lists. We have this list in front of us. It's not exhaustive. It's a broad range. And third, what we see as even we go through them this morning and kind of try to define them, try to understand them as they're listed to us there, at least in 8 through 10, uh, one of the things we see is that it's difficult to make a real clear, tight distinctions of the gifts, okay? And you'll see that when we talk about like a gift of faith versus a gift of healing or a gift of miracle or something like that. And, and so sometimes it's just hard to, to make real clear, tight distinctions, uh, so there's this broad range that's emphasized. I, I want to talk about that, just mention that again just briefly, because it's important that Paul does that that way. I think the reason he's emphasizing this sort of broad category, and it's not real defined, right, it, it is in one way, it's because the church is, is wanting to, to define it. They're wanting to grab hold, right, to, to systematize them in such a way that what are they doing? Well, they're in Corinth. They're grabbing hold of certain gifts and pitting them against one another. And, and you know, essentially saying, well, I'm more spiritual because I have this gift, etc., etc. And it's causing division there in the church. And God is saying, hey, look, there are all types of gifts that I'm giving the church. They're important and necessary. Let's not be so narrow-minded here. This caused them, right, this attitude caused them to just grab hold of a few, and it caused problems. Biblically, what we have, have here is a, a sweeping overview, really, I think, that Paul gives us an idea of the mixture of gifts that are out there, right? And, and Scripture doesn't say, and this is real important, like as we try to, because everybody wants to know, how can I discover my gift, Right? Like that's what today is about a little bit. Okay? We're trying to say, because we're saying, right, he's given gifts, and I just want to reflect on today is like, how do we discover our gifts? And, and I think there's some ways out there that we've attempted to discover the gifts that have actually hurt us. So that's where I'm going. So I'm trying to establish some things uh, that are real important. And one of the things is we don't see in Scripture, right, that he doesn't say, hey, all have a gift. Right? And each one of you must pick one. Right? It doesn't say that. And I think we've clarified it, but that you kind of like, we just kind of ran through it over the last couple of weeks, and you could simply easily walk away and, and begin to think like that. I think it's, it's worth us saying it doesn't say that. In fact, very clearly, multiple times, it says that God's the distributor. So it doesn't say, it does say each one has one, but it doesn't say each one pick one. All right? So that's important. And so we're pausing to emphasize this because it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference on our dependence, you see. I think when it comes to the gifting and the work of the church that the Lord's calling us to, there ought to be this real healthy dependence. Because dependence brings humility, doesn't it? Like I'm not walking on, hey, this is the one I've been assigned. Let me wave that around. Look at this. Wow. I'm great. Right, but boy, we're, we have this tendency, even nobody presents like, well, some people might present like that, but right, but we have that tendency that that creep up in our heart in that way. And so I think this dependency is really important. That there's not this, this assessment that's given to us and say, here's yours, here's your, you pick one, which one do you want? It's not like that. And I think that, that helps us be like dependent, man. 
dependent on him and dependent on his church as we think about discovering our gifts. I hope we can show up to this text and continue to show up to any text, of course, but specifically this one as we think. We're just prayerful about it. Lord, we know that we each get one of these gifts. We believe that. Lord, we, we know that we're all to use the gifts that you give us. Lord, we know uh, that they are for the common good. You're, you're, the word says that. We saw that very clearly. We know that you give us spirit-empowered gifts so that we can fulfill the work that you put in front of us. Lord, we, we know that you desire that we practice them together in unity and humility. So Lord, help us to do this. Help us, right, so that we might highlight the beauty that is the body of Christ and experience the gospel success that you'd want for your church. I mean, so this, this is real important. And again, like I said, I mean, discovering this, it's, it's about drawing near to the Lord. Uh, that, that's, that's how we're going to discover. It's pressing in, prayerfully pressing into these things and, and cultivating that relationship with Jesus who bought us and purchased us for these purposes. As we think of a posture to practice, right, and our discovering our gifts, let's look now at some examples of the kinds of gifts that God has distributed to his church, given to us in chapter 12, verses 8. Let me read from 8 through 10. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. We'll stop there. Let's take verse 8. We see wisdom and knowledge. It says... To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. And I want to say that as I look at this, it, the emphasis is on the message, right? The emphasis is on the message in this particular gift, the, method, the message that is brought on by the Spirit that would give direction to the body in matters of faith and practice. And I... I might add in my attempt to try to interpret what is meant here by this gift that in matters of, of doctrine. Right now you can parse out, as some, some have, you can parse out wisdom as more practical and, and knowledge as more heady, but, but actually that distinction doesn't really play out consistently, at least here in this letter. If you look earlier in how Paul even uses the term knowledge. With this gift that, that is given to us here in verse 8, someone, I think, is able to bring a message through the Spirit that enables the church to embrace doctrine that informs their practice, to embrace theology that informs spirituality. You say, well, man, I think if you're thinking, hearing what I'm saying, like, we, the church, needs gifts like that, don't they? Right? Right, when a church doesn't have this gift or it's not embracing this gifting, then it's at risk for confessing ideas, right, and just having a lot of head knowledge, right, and not, not knowledge that actually, a message from the Lord is a message of calling to put truth into practice, right? So I think a church that would not be 
embracing this would be missing out on the transformative substance that is truth from the Lord, right? It's the risk of, it would risk not knowing. To not have this, to not receive in this area, it risks knowing about but not being connected to Jesus and his heartbeat. You see, the message of God informs and shapes the lifestyle and the heartbeat of God's people. And so I see that this gift, uh, these gifts right here in verse 8, this first two, the message of wisdom and knowledge are bringing those things together. Go to verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. This is another gift. And as we're studying this, we see this is clearly different from saving faith, all right? Saving faith is something the Christian already has. And here we should think of the power of faith that brings extraordinary results. So not saving faith. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the kind of faith, the power of faith that brings about extraordinary results. It could make you think of Matthew 17, right, where Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, it says. Now, this is also, it's important to point out, I think, that this is different from what people describe as a prayer of faith. That, at least recently, I understand that to be uh, where someone is asking for things consistent with God's promises, which is great, and we should do that. I think some, however wrongly emphasize that this is all prayer is. An example of that would be of this kind of prayer of faith that this isn't talking about, okay? An example of the kind of prayer of faith that this isn't talking about is I'm going to pray that God will complete a good work in you, right? Now, that's a good prayer to have. It's also a prayer uh, that's consistent with God's promises, right? We find that in Philippians 1, verse 6, that God tells us that he will complete the good work in us that he started. Man, we should pray that all day for one another. Amen? Right? But, and, and so in sense, some people call that a prayer of faith, which it is, but this here in our text is different, right? This here in our text as a gift is an additional gift of grace that goes beyond what God has already promised in his word. You say, well, what do you mean goes beyond? Well, it's, one, it's a faith, just like all the gifts, right? It's not necessarily distributed to everybody, right? It's an ability of some to trust God for certain things, and then those things happen. You say, man, where, where do we see is this? Is this going on still? Where do we see this? Well, I think of... And, and, and Soren, I'm sure, remembers it, but I remember him reading a book by, about George Mueller. You've heard stories about George Mueller. That is, I mean, go, go read some of that stuff, and you get right there an example of what I think the gift of faith is. Here you have a man, right, a Christian man. You say, who's George Mueller? He's a Christian man, lived in England, 1800s, ran an orphanage. Of course, an orphanage with lots of kids, with just a few kids, who requires lots of money, doesn't it? And we see like all the needs that he needed, he had lots of needs, like major needs, and all the needs that he had were met like unsolicited, unsolicited. And God provided for him in miraculous ways, as you read about it, through prayer, right? He'd sit down to meals. There in his orphanage, the table would be set, as I recall, 
I didn't review the book, but I just recall this image in my mind that he's sitting down to meals, there's, there's children to be fed, and they're literally just praying over the meal that they're about to eat that is not there on their plates. And there's no food in the cabinets or anything, and knock, knock at the door right when they're done praying, and God provides breakfast, lunch, or whatever it was, Inspiring to read the testimony of this life and faith and hear the stories of how God supernaturally provided. Again, this gift of faith is not contrived. It's not manufactured. It's trust in a blessing that comes from God that we find no guarantees for in the Scripture. Meaning, in other cases, even another person praying for a similar thing, God may have discerned not to allow it to happen. Right? Because you might ask, well, man, I've prayed and that didn't... Yeah. And man, again, it's distributed by God. God and His sovereignty decides how this will be distributed. And that is hard for us. Because we do. We do want to, to, to label the gifts in such a way that you have this gift, you have that, and it's like a, a lifetime thing. And, and that's not necessarily how it is. We have to be careful. Uh, you know, I think of example. Example maybe that may not be quite on with what this is talking about, all right? If we, you've prayed for someone, this could be maybe an example of manufacturing, okay? You prayed for someone, man, meaning manufacturing a gift, like, like pretending it's, it's wow, that was, that was a... You almost have the gift of faith because I prayed for this person, uh, this guy to find a spouse and against all human capabilities and insurmountable odds, God caused this woman to see what no one else could, right? <laughs> and I, I must have uh, the, this gift of faith. And I was like, oh, we have to be careful with that, right? Like that might be an example of, you know, he probably could have tricked some woman on his own. Okay? So, so that you just have to be careful. Now, now, it is hard, I will say. In some of these, it's hard to know. Like, what, like even when you get into some of the other ones we're going to talk about here briefly, it's like, was that, you know, yeah, I'm praying for this person to be cured of, of cancer, and God moves, and, and they're cured. And, and, you know, and they, they went through, you know, the medicine. Did the medicine do it? Like, did God use the medicine? I mean, sometimes we just don't know. But here, uh, maybe some examples in this area. How many times the member of this church prayed for a financial need to be met and God provides payment? And it didn't seem like it was possible. No one knew. Or the groceries, no one knew. You were on your last whatever. You know? And, you know, a $1,000 check shows up in the mail. I... There's been times where I've asked God for money when we've had a need here at this church, in the building. It wasn't in the budget. And the next week, it came. What is that? You know? Wow. I think the difficulty of some of these examples is that those who have had faith to pray and ask and see God make it happen, I think there are times when we ask and it doesn't. And that makes it like, well, then what is that? What do we call that? I think it's hard. But we have to just land in this place. Where again and again it's emphasized, God's the distributor. Right? Regardless, He gets the credit and we just trust and press on. 
I think sometimes we explain too much away, actually, because of our material mindset. And I don't want to be guilty of saying or of faking, right, or, you know, saying things in order to try to, like, well, that's of God, look what happened, that was a miracle, I don't want to be guilty of that when it's not. Like, I don't need, and God doesn't need us to try to build his resume, right? Uh, so we have to be careful there. You know, like, you, you pray for rain, and it rained, and you're like, I have the gift of faith. Like, everybody knew, like, you know, 80% chance of rain in the forecast, you know? Like, I don't think that's it, you know? We're not trying to fake this. We're not trying to assign everything to this category. It's trusting God for something that goes beyond what any human could do in that moment. And trusting God for something that is not going to happen, but then it happens because God moved. All right? That's what we see. Still, verse 9, gifts of healing. This is obviously miraculous. Notice that it's plural, which means there's more than one gift of healing. Now, some of these more miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy, and we may touch on healing and miracles uh, when we get into chapter 14. But for now, I'm going to say this about gifts of healing. Again, notice that it's plural. There's more than one gift of healing. This is an important point to recognize, right? There is not, at least in here, what we don't see, there is not a gift of healing, but gifts of healing, which means different people are able to heal people from different types of sicknesses. I think that's the inference that we ought to take from this, meaning there are potential, I think, variations of how we could understand this or how it could play out, but it appears, seems likely, that different gifts of healing, you might have one person who could heal in a variety of situations, but, but not necessarily others. And the reason I think this is important for us to say, because it goes against, so I wrote some, you know, the, the non-charismatic, right, that we would have in the room and saying, look, the, those gifts of healing, they're, they're not even uh, available to us like they were then. But, but even for those who say, well, yeah, they, they are available to us uh, today like they were then, even for that, like, like this helps us with the, a lot of the counterfeit that we say today, see today, okay? Because understand that there's, uh, there's actually multiple gifts of healing, it tells us, again, like I just said, that there's different people able to heal in, in, in different, different types of sicknesses or in different situations or maybe in different seasons. But that's not how the counterfeit, what we see today, is often what? It's one man grandstanding and pretending to heal everyone of everything. Right? But that's not, that's not actually what I, I don't think that's presented to us here. I've heard some say that they have experienced healing someone, uh, and it was real clear to them that in that moment that they healed them, yet maybe after that there was not much they could point to except that one event. And, and understanding that there's different gifts of healing and that God distributes all the gifts as he wills, I, I'm thinking that actually makes sense, right? Right? So I think there's not like a system that it has to fit into. Well, it's like, all right, I don't have to deny that that person healed somebody. It's like, man, in that event, praise the Lord, right? You know, certain gifts, I think a lot of our gifts potentially are, are like that, where it may be evident at one point in time in your life, but not necessarily evident today. 
You know, I think of, I would say, if somebody asked, well, what, what have you seen as your giftings? So, you know, one of them, I would, there would be times, depending on when you asked me, that I would say, man, and I think I maybe even mentioned this, I'm not sure, but the gift of discernment, I might, I might point to that and say, man, I think, I think I've seen that. Because there are times that, that you know, you're, you're able to discern something that's like, man, I don't, the Lord <laughs> provided that. And then, but then there's clearly other times where another brother, right, has some discernment that I don't have, right? I'm like, man, good on you. I didn't see that. I was going right along here, you see? And so it's like God distributes as he wills, right? And and maybe in part because right, like some people can hold on to a gift for a lo- long time, maybe because they have more humility, right? But boy, you know, you could see God in his mercy saying, man, I'm going to give and take your gift back away <laughs> so, so you don't just get to thinking, uh, letting pride set in. Maybe, maybe that's part of it and drawing wrong conclusions. Look at verse 10, performing of miracles. The literal translation is working of powers. Here again, you have a plural. It seems different people are gifted to perform different miracles. Of course, healings would be included. And this is where we see, like we were talking about these, the, the gifting, the, it, the, the lines aren't real clear and tight, right? You can see how healings would be included in, in a miracle. But then it seems to also include other things like what we see Jesus doing, which is casting out demons and miracles related to nature, like stopping a storm. And so the lines we can see, even, even the gift of faith, how that might. You know, someone might say, well, is that a, a miracle? You know, I prayed for the storm to, you know, to not ravage our home, this tornado. Was that a gift of faith? What, what happened there in that moment? And it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to label things. And I think that's where we get ourselves into trouble is just this real commitment to try to label something. And, and it's like, man, God, thank you for providing. Thank you for hearing. If we uh, go to verse 10, but skipping prophecy to come back to later, we see distinguishing between spirits. How about this one? This is a gift to be able to say the thing that looks like the activity of God is actually the activity of Satan. This may be similar to, but more than, I, again, I'm trying to be careful. It may be similar, but more than the ability to discern spiritual and doctrinal issues. Uh, ex- man, there are numerous, aren't there? Examples of secular ideas that the church is quick to embrace. Right? They're numerous. And there's always been a need for a spiritually endowed ability to be able to distinguish the spirit behind the idea and say, that is not of Christ. That is not of his gospel. And I want to say, I want to say that I don't think that this is just accomplished always by more study. An example that I have of that, and something I'm not going to explain it too much, so you'll just have to look it up, and hopefully I don't mislead you and I remember it right, but... It was a resolution. When you go to the Southern Baptist Convention, you have all these churches that represent all the Southern Baptists, all right, they're messengers from all the Southern Baptist churches uh, through, throughout the United States. 
okay? And you go to these, and sometimes they put forward resolutions for the churches to vote on and say, yeah, we can affirm that. We want that message to be sent out about what Southern Baptists stand for. And back, I think it was in 2019, I was in Dallas, and there was this resolution. It's the famous, I believe, Resolution 9 that was put out there, right? And it's about critical race theory. It was that one, at least. And it was argued that we should adopt that, okay? And this resolution was very flawed. And I remember getting a text from different pastors wondering how to vote on it. And, and I remember just thinking that there are a lot of very theologically astute, well-studied people who were confused by this resolution. Right? But there were some not as well-studied right, who could read it and go, man, there is a problem with this. Right? There were some who blew the whistle and said, man, we need to take another look. And, and, and I think that's an, I'm bringing it up right, because I think that's an example of distinguishing between spirits. Right? And it, it's the same, hey, this is not of the Lord. This is not of his gospel. And, and in that, you can see how some who are well-studied who should have had the tools in place to be able to call it what it was, to see it for what it was, didn't. And, and so you need people in the church that are able to have that level of discernment. And, and I'm just pointing out here that in that my experience was it wasn't necessarily the people who knew more and read more on the topic that had the discernment. And that's significant. We skip down further to verse 28, and we see gifts of helping, leading. You look there, still in 12, chapter 12. References, here's referencing those who are uniquely gifted to help others and those who are uniquely gifted in the area of leading or administrating. For helps, when we think of the gift of helps, uh, we think of, think of a wife's role of being a helpmate. God talks about that, Right? as an assistant to her husband. Or think of a deacon's role of offering a number of different task-oriented helps to the church. And so here you have a gift. Uh, well, then move down then to leading and administrating. You have a word used there for steering a ship. We just pause and take note that, that even these gifts of helping, and I think we made, made this point already, but just to restate it, that this gives of helping and leading, that especially after talking about some of those other gifts, and this, I think, contributes to our confusion, uh, that this gives of helping and leading, uh, leading are just, they're common. They're ordinary, right? And, and I think we have to be careful uh, because what we do is I think we can dismiss them and even assess whether somebody has some of these common, ordinary gifts. We assess according to uh, personality preferences, which I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But these are labeled their charismata. Okay, that means they are grace gifts given. Even though, yeah, they're ordinary, yeah, they're common, but they are grace gifts given, gifts that have the same Holy Spirit actively enabling them in each person as he wills. These gifts of helping are leading, are constant in the church, aren't they? 
And, of course, they can directly be associated with the offices of, of a deacon or of an elder, overseer, bishop, right? A deacon is a servant of the church. pastor is a leader. But we've got to be clear here that these gifts aren't limited to those offices, meaning while you wouldn't have a deacon who didn't have the gift of serving, right? That's deacon is a servant to the church, Right? While you wouldn't have a deacon who didn't have the gift of, of helping, leading, you can have a lot of people in the church who have the gift of helping that aren't deacons. Additionally, you can have a lot of people in the church that have the gift of leading or administrating that aren't necessarily the pastors. These gifts are all over. I love it. And you see them, helping, serving. This could be, but not limited to, the number of you who jump in and help when we have a meal. Or a member needs assistance, moving or fixing something or repairing their vehicle or something in their home. Right? It could be, and not limited to. And this is, again, where it's hard. It's like, how is that? This is why we have to draw near the Lord. Am I even doing these sort of natural things that, that anybody could do? I want to do it as endowed by the Spirit, with the attitude of Christ. Man, but because they get real ordinary. But I want to do it empowered. By his spirit with the right attitude, you know, it's like giving rides to somebody, opening doors, locking doors, turning out the lights, changing diapers, providing childcare, cooking meals, passing out bulletin, the leading in administration, those who help organize Awana, nursery, children's Sunday school, mission trip, all the discipleship training opportunities that we have, like the gifts are being used here. Some additional gifts that are not listed here but are in Romans 12. You have teaching, exhortation, giving, showing mercy. Lots of those who's right here who step into teaching roles. Right from nursery age to leading one of our adult Bible studies. We have people teaching the Word of God all over the place. You see this? And this... And here's another important point, because in the teaching, even in the teaching ministry all over the place, I want us to, I want to highlight something about the gifts as we try to sort out, do I have gifts, right? What, as we sort out this sort of discovery process, because I don't want to not be using the gift that he gives me, right? So how do I go about it? How do I go about discovering? Well, I think this is an example where we see uh, that we have these needs for, for teaching, Right? And, and sometimes it's clear in some cases that the person we have in teaching in the children's area or the person that we have teaching in one of our course seminars, it's very clear sometimes that they have the gift of teaching. And guess what? Okay? And I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind. All right? I don't have anybody in mind when I say this. Sometimes when we have the person teaching in those areas, guess what? It's not clear that they have the gift of teaching. Right, And so why do we do it? Well, what we're trying to do is say, hey, man, praise God. One, there's a need, and when there's a need, God's people step up, take ownership to fill that need, and step out in faith. And two, right, we want people to do that so that they can test out and see, is this in fact a gift that God has given me? And so we encourage people to exercise that, to step out in faith, that they might grow and discover in those ways. We could go and explain exhortation, encouraging, building up, giving, showing mercy. Again, we see these all over. So how do we discover 
our posture to practice. Like that's the title here of the sermon this morning. What, and so I'm emphasizing that we discover on a, a godly posture, a certain posture that we ought to have to discover what, in fact, our gifts are. And, and so just, I'm going to talk about that, but in talking about that, I'm going to say what that posture doesn't look like. And that posture is not fixed, okay, on an individual, individualized assessment, all right? You know, one way the church has attempted to discover their gifting is through, specifically, spiritual gifts assessment, okay, that you can take. And you know, the Myers-Briggs personality test, who's done that? Anybody done that? The Enneagram, some people done that. Or the spiritual gift assessment. How many have taken that? I have. We had it here in one of our classes, one of the books we used in a discipleship class, and we all took it. I mention all these together because of their similarities, okay? I don't think they are that much of an aid in helping us sort this out. Additionally, there can be some danger and create some trouble, right? How they're viewed, how they're used concerns me. And the definitions offered for the gifts they purport to test, while clear in the assessment, are not actually so clear and constrained in the same way by the scriptures. For example, even as we uh, were to look, if we were to look at, took some time and look at the Lifeway gift assessment, how they separate knowledge and wisdom. Yet, as mentioned earlier, the distinction doesn't seem that clear. And the emphasis, actually, what is clear is that it's on a message. It's not that cut and dry is my point, and yet these tests try to make it cut and dry and potentially mislead us. When I was training uh, to get my license in counseling, you know, I just learned in psychiatry and clinical psychology and counseling, they loved, that, that area loves assessments. They love it. All right? Some of you probably are in areas in terms of your work, that every, your boss and people are always trying to give you an assessment. Right And assessments can be helpful. What makes the spiritual gifts assessment less helpful, right? even when the assessment claims, and rightfully so, that the list they're providing is not exhaustive, people automatically feel constrained by the list. Okay? You're given the sense right, that you must fit into the category. And perhaps it's our educational mindset I don't know, some people might say Western mindset. Uh, I don't know, I don't even know what that means all the time, but, uh, but perhaps our educational mindset. But again and again, my experience is that if some assessment tells someone something, right, what, what's the response? Uh, I'm submitting to that professional testing I had, right? It's done, it's done. You can never tell that person they are gifted in anything else, man. They are gifted in that. It's, it's over, right? And the response, and you've heard it, and maybe you've been guilty of giving it, is that's not my gifting, right? And, and that is problematic, isn't it? Because you didn't distribute. Lifeway doesn't distribute. You don't distribute your gift to yourself. You don't choose. He chose. God distributes, distributes according to the need as he sees fit, which I'm thinking maybe that could change. And then once you're categorized, what do you do? Well, you cling to it, right? Think of the personality test. 
I mean, if you've taken the Myers-Briggs, I remember like even people referring to us this way when I was in school. It's like, oh, you're, you're an INFP. Oh, I know. I'm like totally the opposite. Uh, I am an ESTJ. Yeah, and this is how they talked, right? I remember going through school, and, and you're like, I talk like that. I'm sorry, okay? The, but you're know, like, what? And some of you are like, what is, what is he talking about? What is the ESTJ? It's extrovert, sensor, thinker, judger. Whatever. Well, judger, that doesn't sound good. Well, it's different. You'd have to look at the test, okay? <laughs> right? But it, it's a label they end up wearing. And you say, well, I've not done that, but I've done the animal ones, right? <laughs> right? And. And you're like, I'm totally an otter, right? <laughs> like, really? I thought you were a golden retriever, right? Because that's it. And then there's beaver, and then there's lion. And then you have guys like me who I'm going to answer the questions, right, that are in front of me so that I come out a lion, okay? It doesn't matter. I, I don't. Now, now, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to answer some of the questions, not just as a lion, but also... So I have some strong characteristics of that golden retriever, caring, loving, <laughs> helping, loyal, right? Right? And of course, maybe, too, we think of beaver, right? That's the hard worker. You don't want to get knocked down too far in that. So you're all try- everybody's trying to, to answer these questions so that you're high in every area. I mean, you know what's happening. Spiritual gifts assessment, you aren't... Trying. Here's the point. So that's like trying to measure something about a person's like uh, personality, where they're at in terms of just their, their life, how they view themselves, etc., etc. Spiritual gifts assessment, you're not trying to measure something raw like that, like a human talent. Am I right? Yet you have like 40 plus questions and you answer the same way according to a Linkert scale which means essentially that you're just rating uh, your level of agreement to particular statements, and those statements guide you to your gift uh, that it's proposing, right? And, and that's what the assessment's doing. It's proposing to help clarify for you what your gift of grace is that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. And so a statement that you might give, be given in the, in the assessment of the spiritual gift test is, and you're supposed to mark on a linker scale, on a rating, Right, and, and you respond to this statement. Doing things for a person in need makes me happy. And you're supposed to mark one, no it doesn't, or not sure, to five, very true. And I'm just thinking, like even that, right? Like, who's going to answer that? Uh, you know, like, doing things for makes me feel happy. No, it does. I don't know. Maybe, and maybe it doesn't. But then there's another problem. I feel like. Uh, Right, so I, I just, and, and look, I get it, right? And, and let me just say, I think it's easy to take shots, and I could keep going, and I've prepared more shots to take, but I won't, right? If you're going to have a spiritual gift assessment, this is how you have to do it. I, I just don't think it's as helpful as it purports. And in fact, I would challenge that it brings confusion, gets in the way of people stepping into the needs of the church, and then and gets in the way of people actually listening to the church. That is the one, and when I say the church, I mean the one and others, those sitting in the rows in front behind you, next to you, right? It gets, and specifically, I would say, it gets in the way of the church listening to the one and others and just stepping in and stepping up for the common good and trusting God, the distributor, to give, right? Moses had to step out 
And then God provided, right? He didn't have this resume of success that caused him to say, oh, I, I totally can do this, right? In fact, that's my type. You nailed me, God, right? You nailed me. I, I have, I've taken these assessments and I totally have the capacity for this. That's, that's not what they are. That's not what we see. One researcher asked this question, what evidence do we have in the scripture for finding our gifts in this way? And this person makes the point that he couldn't find one single scripture which uses subjective balance of weighing our strengths and weaknesses to determine our gifts of the Holy Spirit. He also said that he couldn't find one single scripture that uses personality or personality theory to determine what direction we should take in serving the church. There also doesn't seem to be any historical evidence trying to sort it out this way. See, another very striking point is that just like a non-believer and a believer can take a Myers-Briggs successfully and come out with their type, an unbeliever can take a spiritual gift assessment, right, and come out with a spiritual gift because it's based off measures and secular in, that secular inventory use. Both the believer and the unbeliever would be assigned the same gifts if they answered the questions the same way. But an unconverted person does not have a gift. God distributes, the Holy Spirit empowers the gift in a person that's converted. Uh, For these reasons, I think it's artificial to use the assessment, not spiritual, and I think that matters very much. It's clear in our text that they're distributed by God, not by humanistically engineered assessments. And so we should be very careful. I think also probably one of the ways that, that I'm pressing into this this morning is because I think, and very passionately so, that, that this has got in the way of how God actually has provided uh, what you know for us to discover our gifts. He's provided a way for us to discover our gifts, and I think these other like individualized assessments get in the way of that. I think how we discover our gifts, the way is just fundamentally, I mean, there's lots of ways to speak to it, but it requires a posture of surrender before the Lord and before his church. And we can't cut that short. And I know, like, I like to take the shortcut, right? I don't want to spend a while, like, right, getting, you know, because that could take a while. And it's like, man, if I could just in 10 minutes know my gifts by taking this inventory, that, boy, that saves a lot of time. So I I would just encourage us to submit to these truths that we see here in this text. One, he distributes according to his will. Two, he defines defines the gifts. And, And we're not always clear on how that is. Right? Three, he knows how he wants to use those gifts, when and where. Right, four, we want to submit not to a narrow definition we might have, but one he has and he's distributing. The posture of surrender is for the good of the body. It will lead me into healthy church involvement. And it's in that setting that we begin to learn how God has gifted us. Right? It's in that saying we're stepping out in faith as a need arise. It's a heart postured 
right, that it says, I'm willing to step into situations for the common good. Listening to God's word, responding in obedience to the work he calls us to, and to hear from and submit to the one another that he has around me. And it's in this context, right, that I think that, that we clarify and, and affirm one another's giftings. And that's a more exciting way, even, to me, to just sort it out. And it makes sense when we think of the body that we described last week that God would have us sort it out that way. Join the body of Christ, right? Start practicing the one another's, right? And you'll begin to figure out where you function in that body. And that might actually change over time or as needs arise differently. So we want that kind of posture of surrender. You know, our, I think our approach, and we want to guard. We want to guard against some of our approaches. I think our approach to spiritual gift, I think it has become, and in some situations it is, terribly triumphalistic and individualistic. It's look at me. I'm accomplished in this area. Let me show you my talent. And that is certainly not what we see here, right? We're not trying to find our gifts by measuring our preferences and personalities. That contributes even further to an error that we've all, we already struggle with, which is working, serving, and being active in the church with a constant eye on ourselves. That individualistic mindset uh, is this whole chapter, this whole section of Scripture is against that. Right? As we discover our gifts, I think it's more about asking ourselves. It's not about asking ourselves what we feel and what we enjoy and how we can assess our strengths and weaknesses. That's, that's not it, actually. Think about that. Let me say that again. As we discover our gifts, it is more than asking ourselves what we feel, what we enjoy, and how we assess our strengths and weaknesses. You see? When we look in the scripture, we find very different things happening. All right? You're not a good speaker, but I'm going to have you speak to a nation. All right? It was failed. Like, right? You say, well, that was, you know, if you're talking about Moses, it, well, this Holy Spirit came onto him, so we can talk about that later. But okay, but even still, just take Moses as the example, right? He takes that test, right? God came on him and provided what was needed, right? He lost control, lost his cool, right? Who, who's that? Lost his cool and ran away, broke under pressure. Right? I think of, think of one who, who probably thought of himself as a lion, very zealous for Christ, but ran like a rabbit when stuff hit the fan. Who's that? Peter. And then God says, I'm going to build my church on you, so actually you're going to be a great leader, but not until my spirit is on you. You see? I didn't like helping people, and this works. I didn't like helping people, man. Now I love it because what Christ is doing in my life, and when I help, like I, it's just I'm just humbled by it. 
And I think of all that Christ gave to me. And I get to do this little thing for this person, right? And it, this, the attitude is more like the Christ, right? You see that. I'm not always clear what makes the distinction, but certainly the attitude being that of Christ taking on how he would serve in these various ways, right? Empowered by the Spirit for the common good of the church. I pray that the God will help us as we wrestle with these things and try to sort out what is, what is my gifting? Lord, how do you want me? You Here you've bought me, you've purchased me by your blood so that I might serve your church. And I, I just want to take the time to really press in and, and, and function to serve the common good of your church, right, with, with whatever gift you might give me. And you know what? I don't know what that gift is, but, but I can see needs. I've got eyes and I've got ears, and I'm just going to begin stepping in and, and volunteering and pressing in and having eyes to see. So God, I'm just going to start there. Instead of asking, what's my gift? I'm going to ask, God, can you tell me, will you give me eyes to see others and to see your church, how you see others and how you see your church? And then as you give me that, I'm going to just start stepping into that. And let me tell you, I think in that, and I'm going to, li- I'm going to have the humble heart to listen, right, and hear and receive guidance and direction from my brothers and sisters around me. And let me, I guarantee you, you will soon be walking in the gift that God has given you. It's exciting. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Thank you, Jesus, for these gifts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we... Continue to grapple with this part of Scripture. We ask that you make us healthy. We want to be a healthy church. Lord, please put us on that trajectory. We, we recognize that it is easy to step off of it, to get uh, inward-focused, inward-thinking, to measure uh, according to, to our strengths and weaknesses, God, but but we just want to surrender our hearts to you and be faithful, not fearful, to whatever it is that you're calling us to, and God, that as we surrender our hearts to you and submit ourselves to the one another's of this body, we ask that you will make it clear to each one what gift you have bestowed on them, so that they can use it effectively Because, God, I do believe that as we learn to do that, as we press in and draw near to you in this, God, you will help us be more effective for your kingdom. And that's what we want. So will you help us? Will you help us to to do that so that we can effectively serve one another and serve you? That you would be, and your church would be highlighted for the beautiful bride that it is bought and purchased by your blood. You make us without stain or wrinkle to present us this way. God, it is of your grace that we, are, that we are yours. It is of your grace that we are able to serve you. We thank you for including us in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.